For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the, intelligent of the intelligence of the intelligence I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has, God, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in, since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased with the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God was called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, but to those whom God called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. May God's word shape us and form us. Amen. When I was a young child, maybe around Isaiah's age nine or eight, uh, I had a lot of confidence. And in myself, and I was a loud kid, and would run around and and uh, you know just talk to strangers and you know rattle off this and that and this and that. Um, in junior high, same thing, uh, very outgoing, very loud. I would get bad marks in conduct from my teachers on my report cards. Like needs improvement, needs improvement, needs improvement. <laughs> Talks too much, visits with too much with others. Blah blah blah. And I would just drive my teachers. Nuts. And I remember uh, in the Korean church and maybe in a lot of Asian churches in this country, during summers, the churches would, the church would put on uh, SAT prep courses. And uh, these SAT, so my dad's church, he'd ha he hired uh, young college students and have an SAT prep course. And all of us would go there. I was in junior high and I would be in SAT prep, right? It's like, might as well start now. And uh, um, and through the class, you know, I always considered myself a bright kid and I read a lot and, and, but this was my first kind of introduction into a different world, maybe the academic world or a world where uh, communication was different or there was a different expectation for language. And uh, at the end of our week in the SAT preps class, uh, the student uh, teacher uh, pulled me aside and said, you know what, I suggest that you read the newspaper. Like, grab your parents' newspaper and every day just read the newspaper. And I was like, why, why, why do I need to? And he was like, so you can learn how to communicate and express yourself because you struggle with kind of putting your sentences together in a way that's understandable to people. And I was like, what? I, that was the first time anyone had kind of said that to me. And I remember being upset upset in the way in the same way when the summer after i was like eight i was taking swimming lessons in the pool and i already knew how to swim in the deep end in the 12 foot section and but when i took this swimming class at the end you have to do this test and then they pass you they say okay you're ready to swim you're ready to swim in the deep end and whatnot and everyone passed but i failed I was like, I am such a great swimmer. How could I fail? Right? And these types of incidents in our lives, they kind of make us question our confidence or question our makeup. Where at one time, we're like very sure of myself, very out there. 
you know, as I grew older, I began to realize my own limitations or that the world was much bigger out there than I was. And, and it's the first time maybe I began to realize that my upbringing and the way I grew up or my family kind of around me, uh, one was different than maybe the dominant culture and also off made me have disadvantages when it came to negotiating cultural things, negotiating uh, communication, communicating in the language of power, whatnot, whatnot, whatnot. And so uh, that's when I first kind of stumbled and first maybe had a lot of insecurities um, come in. And then college is a whole different, whole different story because that's when you're like going through identity, you see the whole world is coming into this little place, you're away from home, and you're trying to figure out you know, who you are. And you run into people who grew up a different way, maybe had more resources, had more money, or had were smarter than you, or had you know just a wide variety of experiences that you did not. And so, confidence, confidence, and identity. And I've wrestled with this uh, for much of my adult life. Like, man. When I was young, I thought I could like conquer the world. I, th I thought I could go anywhere and talk to anyone and make friends with anyone. And the older I got, I realized that's just not true. You know, it's just not true. There are limitations. There's things I can't do. There's things that I don't understand. And there are ways that I'm invisible to a whole section of society, right? Or my voice isn't as loud or I'm not as heard. Right? Or I'm isolated in different ways. And these, these are things that, you know, you discover. I'm also hitting that point right now. I would say I'm, I'm not in middle life, but, you know, 42, getting there, I'm slowing down. And I've shared this before, slowing down. And so I, you hit that more limitations, right? My body is limited. I can't do the things physically that I used to be able to do. You know, I can't run and dive around and jump around like I used to. My hamstring keeps pulling and I'm getting hurt when I'm playing ultimate frisbee and all of that. And it makes me like question myself and question my worth. I'm like, am I worth it? Am I capable? I'm not competent anymore physically. And so you run into those boundaries and those limitations and, and you wrestle with it. You consider it in your heart. And the big idea, that I want us to walk away with is this. Cling to the scandalous, moronic, idiotic message of the cross and be saved. Cling to the scandalous, moronic, idiotic message of the cross and be saved. And I wanted to give you guys some cliches and sayings. And I'll read the first part of it and see if you can finish it, right? It's a dog eat there you go. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. Survival of the... The rich get richer and the... I'm going to look after me and... I'm going to... Uh, the cream... Does what? Rises to the top. Um, king of the... Hill or mountain. No one is going to look out for you. 
you need to look out for yourself. Go out and conquer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> go out and get it. Go out and conquer. Take the by the horns. Bull. Yeah. Awesome. So I just wanted to bring up some of those, and I was going to have us discuss those and what they mean to us. Uh, but there are sayings in our context, in our culture, that are normal. They're so familiar that we can finish, you know, I can read half and you guys can finish it off. And they're just kind of, I guess, worldly wisdoms, worldly sayings that we say when it comes to getting by in this world. Or if it comes to succeeding in this world. You know, or if you're not, you know, if you're down and you've been maybe cheated in life by a someone or a group of people, someone might encourage you by saying, it's a doggy dog world. Go out and get it, right? Uh, survival of the fittest, the cream rises to the top. King of the mountain. Um, and uh, speaking of ultimate, uh, I like to guard people that are taller than me just for the challenge of the challenge of it because people are like, always tell me to guard the short guy because I'm short. And I'm like, why do I have to guard the short guy? Because I'm short. Like I can guard the six foot five guy. And so I always challenge myself with that. And the other day, it was a deep throw and the guy uh, jumped over me and grabbed the disc with one hand and came down and scored. And he looked at me and went, ha! Like, like he was trash talking to me. I'm like, you're a foot taller than me, come on. Like, you should be able to do more with what you have. So, but that, that feeling was in me, like, oh my gosh, how dare he, like, look down on me, you know? And my teammates are like, you did it to yourself, like, you guarded, you chose to guard him, right? But in me, I was like, no, I will not be limited by this. I will fight. I'm the cream of the crop. I will rise to the top, right? I won't lose. And there's something in all of us that are still like cling to the ways of the world, cling to that voice that says, you need to be a winner. You need to be the best. Don't be a loser. Don't be left out, right? Don't get left behind. Don't get voted off the island. Get that golden ticket. Go to Hollywood, right? Win, win, win. And all of us have our resumes and our experiences and we read our resumes and we're like, I could be so much more. I could have been so much more. Or who's gonna hire me? Who's gonna want me with this on my resume? And we go, maybe we, if we consider going to high school reunions or college reunions, we're like, man, I, may, I decide whether or not I'm going to go to reunion based on my weight, right? Do I feel skinny these days? I'm going. Am I, do I feel heavy? I'm not going, right? And so we think about that. We think because what we're doing is we're playing the comparison game. We're saying relative to people I went to high school with who are my same age, I am doing better or worse than them. Is that true? I look better or I look worse. I have a better spouse than them, or I don't have a spouse, I don't have children, I don't have a high-paying job. Whatever it is, we play the comparison game because in the back of all of our minds, there's a standard and there's a system 
which we use to compare how we're doing and how we're not doing. And that is the way of the world. And I think that's what Paul is saying when he's saying, this is the wisdom of the world. This is the way the world thinks. This is the power of the world. This is what success is in the world. And basically he's saying, when in the eyes of the world, what determines wisdom and success, the cross, the message of the cross is foolishness. The ways of God is stupidity. Right? And actually the word foolish, foolishness, is more akin to moronic. And that's why I entitled the sermon Scandalous and Moronic. Right? The way, the message of the cross is moronic. You moron. Right? And it reminds me of last week's sermon, last week's passage, where Jesus, where it says Peter rebuked Jesus, right? Rebuked Jesus for uh, saying that he was going to go to the cross, he was going to die and be resurrected. And basically, it says he pulled him aside and rebuked him. And actually, that word is saying, shut up, right? He told Jesus to shut up. So I imagine Peter is actually saying, shut up, you moron. That's foolishness. That's silly talk. That's crazy talk. And this is, Peter is kind of piggybacking on that, that idea that most people around Jesus thought that what Jesus predicted about his own death and resurrection was stupid, was moronic, was silly, and that stop talking about that because that's not what we want. That's embarrassing. That's shameful. And in reflecting, I think this Lent is a time and around Easter is a time where we, we reflect on Jesus, the passion of Jesus and Jesus' death. And in reflecting on his death, I've been thinking a lot like, was Jesus embarrassed when he took up his cross and was going to the cross, to his death? Was Jesus, did he experience humiliation? Like as an emotion, did he feel humiliated? Did Jesus feel a deep sense of shame? Like as he was walking and the crowds were jeering, people were spitting on him, did he feel shame? Would I feel shame? if I were to be rejected in a similar fashion, in a public way as that, as Jesus was? Would I experience embarrassment? Would I experience humility, be humble? And actually a good exercise in my life for discipleship and being a follower of Jesus is to swallow my pride. It's like, it's so funny how I just let my pride go unchecked so many times. When I'm driving, nope, I should be faster than that guy next to me. I should get to that spot sooner when I'm driving. Right? When I'm arguing with someone about a salesperson about the price of something or whether or not I can return something. I'm right. 
I'm entitled to this refund. I'm entitled to this. You're wrong. You need to serve me. The customer is always right. right? And if, if they don't just bend down to my will, then anger, like, let me see your manager. You know, how many times I want to be right, or I need to win, or I, I don't want to be seen as less, or I don't want to be seen as an underling, that I need to be greater than, or more important than, or heard more than, right? That that pride is just right there. And a good discipline for me is to just like, Swallow my pride. You know, it's actually a good discipline to consider, like, you know, when people who don't know you or your title or something like that don't acknowledge you, and you want to like make sure they get that you you do that or that's your role or that's your title. The other day, uh, yesterday, a young lady was talking about my co-captain on my team. She's like, oh yeah, she's the captain of the team. She's great, awesome. And, uh, and she just jokes around with me and I was like, I wanted to say, oh, I, I actually, I'm a captain too, right? The urge was to be like, I don't know why, it was just petty and silly, I'm a captain too, right? Not just her, I'm the captain too. And in that moment, that practice of swallowing it, like, why do I need to say that? I don't need to say it, so I just won't say it. Right? It's actually good for the soul, right? Even now, I want to go back and somehow on Facebook tell her, like, I'm a captain too, right? In some sort of indirect way. But to not say it, not to get recognition, to choose not to have recognition, whoa, that's foolishness, right? Because it means you're, I'm insignificant. It means I'm not getting credit. It means I'm not being recognized for what I need to be recognized for. It's foolishness, right? So in Paul's context in the, uh, and in the context of Corinth, the church in Corinth, the Corinthian church, what did it mean to say the cross is the power of God? How would it have been received by people? And actually, in the context of Corinth, um, Rome was in power. Rome, the Roman Empire, was in control, and actually, Corinth was the center of Greco-Roman culture. So, where Rome was the military strength and power, the empire, uh, Greece, the Greeks were like the cultural and societal center, right? The philosophy, the culture, right? What is beautiful? What is true? What is wise? That's the Greeks, right? And so it's the Rome, Roman Empire and the Greeks that kind of shaped the culture and the system of the day. And um, the cross on which Jesus was crucified was actually like a major form of torture and execution by the Roman Empire. And it was a way to have dissenters and people criminals be humiliated in the most gruesome, most excruciating way, very publicly, 
in front of everyone so that no one would challenge the power of Rome. Right? It's a way, it was a symbol for Rome of crushing its opponents, those that the empire regarded as its opponents. Corinth, like I said, was a cosmopolitan center between two port cities. Um, it was a center of Greco-Roman culture. Um, there was like, uh, had uh, Neoplatonic thinking, so Plato, the thinking of Plato, kind of re a re-emerging of that. So it was the height, in the city was the height of philosophical intellectualism and the pursuit of beauty and perfection and power and status and wisdom. And so those people who were like philosophizing, they were called the sophists, right? And where do we get the word sophistication? We get it from sophists, right? That's the same root. So that, that Greek culture was like the center of sophistication. You're in the know, you're intelligent, you have wisdom, so you're sophisticated. Um, and what Paul is doing uh, is addressing the factionalism um, in the church in Corinth. There are a lot of squabbles and differences in thinking in the church. Um, a large part of these differences were uh, lay in the diversity of the church. It was a very diverse church, right? Jew and Greek, rich and poor. Um, and so, for instance, one of the differences that Paul points out in 1 Corinthians later in chapter 11, um, he chastises the rich in the community for not waiting on the poor when they do the communal meals, right? So in the early church, they would do communal meals and this is actually where the practice of communion comes. They were actually table fellowship. They would gather all together as a community and eat. And usually the richest families, the richest would host in their homes because they had the homes that could host a lot of people and they had the resources. But it got to a point um, to where the rich were just gathering together and eating all the food and not waiting for the poor. Um, it was kind of like a cliques were being formed. And Paul was like, you need to wait. Wait on the poor. In fact, they should eat first. And this is where we get the kind of our communion liturgy, you know, in chapter 11. On the day that Jesus was betrayed, he was with his disciples, blah, 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 blah. Right? So Jesus, or not Jesus, Paul uses this communion liturgy as a type of to center the recenter the community, right? That was kind of in a dog eat dog world, survival of the fittest, the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. I'm gonna look after me and mine, and turning that upside down and saying, no, because of Jesus, we need to be together. And this is how we are countercultural in how we we eat together. And that's communion or the Eucharist. Um, and in a world dominated militarily by Rome, and in a cultural milieu shaped by Greek sophistication and ideas around beauty and status and church community that is wrestling, that was wrestling with uh, social kind of differences, cultural, intellectual location, people in different locations, culturally and socially. Um, a statement like Paul's, the message of the cross is the power of God, would be laughable 
would be foolishness, would be scandalous, right? If the whole point of someone dying on the cross is to humiliate them and embarrass them, right? You are the criminal of, you're the least of the least. A criminal will be put to shame, right? Uh, a statement like, actually, the message of the cross is the power of God, right? Turning that upside down would be scandalous, right? Would be foolishness, would be laughable, uh, would be moronic. To be a follower of Jesus then means to walk the path of the cross. Discipleship is a road and it's not a category. It's a journey. That's why the series, we call it the road to renewal, right? The path of the cross. There's a journey. It's not just a piece of knowledge we gather or something we do. Um, but what it means to be Christian, to be disciple, means we are walking along with Jesus on a journey, on a path. And the journey of Lent is a seasonal walk that is actually a microcosm for our entire life's journey. When we walk with Christ, we walk the path of the cross. And Paul is saying, this is not popular. It's not glamorous. And according to Paul, it is actually quite moronic and scandalous in the eyes of the world. And the question for us is, what messages are you clinging to in your life? What are the tape recorder messages you play in your mind daily, weekly, about what it means to be successful, what it means to be wise, what it means to be sophisticated, what it means to be powerful, what it means to be good, what it means to be beautiful, what are the tape recorder messages that we eat up, right? The words and the sentences and the images that our culture gives us and informs what we think about ourselves, whether we're succeeding or not, whether we're beautiful or not. What are these things? And the truth is, following Jesus means making hard decisions about what you will orient your life around. Will you orient yourself around messages that the world offers you? Or will you take up your cross? It also means very practical daily decisions. Will you check your unhealthy ambition for the sake of others? Will you let go of riches and money by practicing generosity? Will you say no to voices that say you're ugly and your body is insufficient for the truth that you are a beautiful child of God? Amen? And that's what Paul is saying so passionately, right? I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligence. I will frustrate, right? But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And I always wonder, right? My wife Janice tells me all the time, 
why you keep listening to lies about yourself. And I'm like, why are those voices so much louder in me? Why? Why aren't the thing? Why do I like take God's words and what I know is true? What God says, I'm His beloved. I love you. You're beautiful, right? You're my child. And they just bounce off me like ten bullets. <laughs> like He pours it on me, and I'm like, whatever. I want to believe in this little ugly thing over here, right? I want to eat this morsel all the time. Eat it, eat it, eat it. Even though when I eat it, it makes me more starved, more hungry, more desperate. And when the well, there's this well of water here, right? This fountain, and it's just gushing in God's abundance and love. And it's there, and I can jump. He wants me to jump in and drink all I want. It's like golden water, right? And it's so good and nutritious for my soul and beneficial. And yet I deny it. I ignore it. I still want to go to this mud puddle over here, right? And go, oh, I need this lot. It feed me, feed me, feed me. It doesn't feel good. And yet I keep going to it. Why? Why are these voices so much louder than this? Right? We need to turn to the foolishness of God way more in our lives. Amen? We need to say yes to the truth found in scripture, found in the people who love us, who love God, and are telling us these things around us, found in our church, in the Bible, when we worship God. We need to turn to those truths in the still small voice in our hearts and say, yes, give me more, God. Give me more, God, because I'm hungry, and I'm starving, and I'm thirsting, and my heart is like a parched desert and I need waters in this desert today and now. I need a new life, a renewed life, because the world, actually, it's true. The world is a dog-eat-dog -dog world. And it doesn't care about you. When it's done with you, it'll eat you up and spit you out. And you're going to be left there, still hungry, still thirsty. So why do we keep running that race? And playing that game over and over again. Isn't that the definition of insanity? Right? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting the same results. Right? No matter how much I go boom, boom, boom. Right? I'm tall, I'm tall, I'm tall, I'm tall. I'm never going to be tall, folks. Right? It's not about me getting taller in the eyes of the world. It's about me loving me for who I am. Right? At my height. Right. Amen? Whatever it is for you. Right? Whatever it is for you. God loves you. And the cross is foolishness. Because that's the thing that turns the world system upside down. And brings a different way. And that's what God is doing with Christ. Through Christ is... He's renewing, he's wanting to renew the world and renew and make a way for community, loving a beloved community and for restored lives and for healing and where people can coexist without consuming one another, right? And we can live in the world without consuming the world, but we can live together by blessing one another and serving one another 
And so Paul's answer, his thesis, is cling to the scandalous, moronic message of the cross and be saved. And in this church that is struggling with division in the midst of diversity, that's the answer, is to turn the world system upside down and begin to listen to the wisdom of God, because in that is the power that we need to be lifted up together. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your ways. Thank you for that you so loved the world that you offered your only son so that we can be saved through him, through his death and resurrection, and then to be your body and your community and your church in the world. We need your power in our lives. We can't power our lives without you. And when we try to power ourselves with alternative energy sources that are not from you, um, we sputter and die. So will you help us in our daily walk? Remember you, listen to you, and embody the truths that you have for us. In your name we pray. Amen.